0: limited is proud to be brought to you in part by starcitygames.com not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web they're also the world's largest independent retailer for magic the gathering singles and supplies for more information visit starcitygames.com
1: hello everyone and welcome to another episode of lords of limited my name is ben worney and joining me on the line is ethan sachs ethan i have had a heck of a long week and i am
2: excited to talk to you about some mtg how's it going it's going really well, man. I am diving deep into the content world this week. I have this a little bit down in our show notes, but I might as well talk about it now. We have a booming YouTube channel now, Ben. Boom baby indeed. You've made some awesome intros for some of those videos. Yeah, I got a shout out uh, Dingus Egg on uh, Twitch who helped me out with uh, one of those intro cards and another shout out to Nikolai Bolus, who is an awesome YouTube content creator and a member of our Discord uh, who... Took like 45 minutes out of his schedule to talk to me about how to YouTube. And then I uh, did a collaboration video with him, which you can check out on his YouTube channel. But you can also check out our YouTube channel now, where the plan is for the Lords of Limited to be creating content five days a week or releasing content five days a week. So I the podcast on Mondays. We're going to be doing two draft videos on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then little short, like, what's the play videos on Wednesdays and Fridays. So you can go to youtube.com slash C slash Lords of Limited or just search lords of limited on youtube and find that hit the subscribe button like videos all that stuff is like really helpful in growing the channel initially um and hopefully you know that expansion of our content is going to be good in the long run
1: yeah I'm very excited to start youtubing with you and also what sort of world is it that we live in where you can just talk about people named dingus egg and
2: it's totally normal it's <laughs> just occurring to me what just yeah. shout out to dingus egg <laughs> shout out to dingus egg yeah i don't know if i like i mean i know his name obviously but i don't know if he wants that you know released to the world or whatever Sure. Yeah. Uh, So let's talk about MTG, Ben. What platform have you been playing on
1: this week? I have been playing on Arena this week for the first half of the week. After that, my week got sort of insane, and I wasn't able to finish out my last couple Theros drafts that I wanted to do, but uh, had a huge Winter Guard competition this weekend at our school that we hosted. We had 68 schools come in and perform yesterday on Saturday, so spent the end of the week doing a band concert and getting ready for that. Uh, but have been loving the drafts on Arena. So if we check in on the trophy leaderboard, I'm at the same place on the MTGO trophy leaderboard. 32 drafts deep, four trophies, 62% win rate, buoying upwards. And I will say I am, after a hiatus from MTGO, I'm excited to go back and take another crack at this format. I am looking forward to drafting MTGO.
2: I think so. I think, uh, you know, the amount of folks that I respect on Twitter that are still drafting... format many many more drafts deep than i am and enjoying it and tweeting about it i'm gonna give it another shot i feel like there may be some stuff that i'm missing i also just think that there are some folks who like really latch on to the gameplay being great which i agree with i think the gameplay is generally great save for the bombs that exist in the format and i think that's going to play to a lot of people's strengths that are not necessarily my own but i think i agree with you that arena sort of breathed new life into the format for me which is very rare so yeah, if we dive into the arena sort of quote-unquote trophy leaderboard, I wish they did have a trophy leaderboard on arena. I am 19 drafts deep, 82 and 50, uh, five quote-unquote trophies, five 7x wins, and a 62% win rate. And I even, because they took it off of best of one, they took it off of ranked draft on Friday, we're recording on Sunday, I even played some best of three, some traditional drafts on arena. Ooh, wow, that is going deep. Yeah. I don't know. I wanted to dive in more and see if there was more like stuff to be gleaned from the bots. And I wasn't hating it on Arena, honestly. That's good. I went seven drafts deep on Arena. I actually did eight drafts,
1: but I didn't get to play out any games from the eighth draft. So 35 and 17 overall record, three trophies and a 67% win rate. But I did love my seven drafts on Arena.
2: Yeah, I got to shout this out right now, Ben. On uh, February 9th, Ben took to the Twitter streets and he said, hot take, I think THB draft is better on MTG Arena than it is on MTGO. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I got flamed for that (laughs) tweet super hard. felt
1: kind of bad, but I mean, I stand by it. When I was playing Arena, I was having way more fun than I was on MTGO for a few reasons that we're going to talk about in the episode a little bit later. But one is that you actually consistently get a draft black. So on average, I'm playing with a way better deck on Arena than I am on MTGO. And my opponents also get that same opportunity. So we're jamming two good decks against each other. So you get to experience the good gameplay of the format. I mean, I was winning more on Arena 2, which also helps. Like, I've really been struggling on MTGO. But I think some some of what makes the format not enjoyable for me on MTGO is what makes it enjoyable for me on Arena. I just had a lot of fun. And I think this is the best the bots have ever been on Arena. And I wanted to give a shout out to MTGA
2: yeah agreed all right well we've got a lot to talk about with arena and we've got a lot of like card specific stuff that we want to discuss as well but before we get into any of that we got to talk about the patreon patreon.com slash lords of limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose anyone who gives to the show via the patreon gets access to the lords of limited discord we say each and every week it is the best place on the internet for all things limited discussions limited strategy it is growing and as we always say as it grows, I don't feel like it's getting like more muddled or more messy. I think it's actually getting better. I think that the community is growing in a very constructive way. We're getting a lot of good feedback about channels constantly, about how we can improve the Discord. So it's really awesome. And I just want to shout out our mods real quick. Uh, our handful of moderators in the Discord Just cannot say thank you enough to all the work that you do. Ben and I can't really be as present in the Discord as we would like. I mean, we're there when we can be, when people tag us, when there's stuff that we're interested in looking at. But by and large, the moderators in there are the folks who are doing the Lord's work, as we say.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you to all those fine folks.
2: And we're going to make sure we welcome each and every one of our new patrons to the fold this week. So this week we are welcoming Paul, Nicholas, Michael, Jason, Nathan, Nate, MH, Justin, Chris, and Jeff. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. And if you've always wanted to give back to the podcast, but maybe
1: haven't been able to do so financially, YouTube channel is a great way to do that. You know, there's a lot of ways to support content without doing it from a financial perspective. So head on over there, give us a like, give us a subscribe. We would very much appreciate the help.
2: Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's get right into it, Ben. We're going to, you know, piggyback off of your hot take tweet and talk about drafting with the bots what's been your experience yeah my experience
1: on arena has been that the bots feel far and away the closest to drafting on mtgo or paper that it ever has and i think there are a few notable exceptions to that that actually make the format really enjoyable so the first is that black is actually open In a normal amount or probably slightly above average amount of drafts, if you're really comparing it to what actually happens in the format, black is open more than it should be. But I don't think that's a bad
2: thing that you get to draft the best color and play with the best color. No, it feels actually quite good. I mean, I, I will say that there are some things that I, that feel a little weird. You know, when you, when you see an Elspeth's Nightmare or a Freaka spawn, like pick five or pick six, it feels like, oh, okay, I'm reminded now that I'm not drafting with humans, because I don't think that generally happens on Magic Online. But by and large, I agree with you. Right. And that brings me to my next point that I think where Arena grossly diverges from
1: MTGO or paper is that you see the powerful uncommons, not just the black ones way more than you probably should, but that everyone gets to draft and play more powerful decks, which I do think lets you experience the good gameplay of the format, as I mentioned before.
2: I think one of the things that always feels a little weird to me about arena draft is how much the bots latch on to rares. Like you just don't see rares get passed, even in pack three, when you would imagine folks are solidified into their colors. But this actually feels like it mirrors Theros beyond death draft more than other formats because of how much that is what people are doing in paper or on magic online. Yeah,
1: absolutely agree.
2: So what are the things that feel good about drafting on Arena for you?
1: The things that felt right about it to me or the the things that felt fun. On Arena, I usually feel that if I draft a color in pack one, I don't trust that color to be open in pack three. And it felt like in, uh, granted, I only did seven drafts, but it felt like in those drafts, like signals were actually being sent and received to a certain extent, like as much as it, it felt authentic. I mean, other than the black stuff being way too wide open. And it felt like if you were seeing a color in pack one, that more often than not, you were seeing that color in pack three.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know if I, I feel like I have enough reps to speak to that yet. Um, Because I have felt like and I was talking to chat when I was streaming the other day about just how like pack three on arena is very, very weird. You know, you can just feel like you're You're cruising through the draft. Pack one's going great. Pack two's going great. And then pack three, just like nothing happens for you. And thank God you already had 23 playables, that sort of thing. So I I don't know if that's been my experience, but maybe just the fact that it hasn't occurred to me should be the reason that I'm like, yeah, that is the case, right? But pack three has felt normal more often than not. Yeah.
1: And like I said, I could have just hit some normal drafts. I have a very, very, very small sample size. Yeah.
2: I think there's another thing about this format on Arena that feels similar to Magic Online is that you do sort of get the, well, I didn't see a lot of black in pack one, but then black may flow in pack two. And that happens on Magic Online all the time. I think like, you know, sometimes everyone's fighting over black, and then no one ends up in black. And so then no one moves into it when it starts to flow in pack two, or maybe in pack three or whatever. Yeah, and
1: I I have experienced that as well, for sure.
2: It feels like the bots, dare we say, are actually sending and receiving signals. The drafts feel different draft to draft. That's been my biggest takeaway is I don't, feel like I need to, you know, even in War of the Spark, we were like sort of soft forcing the Grixis color pairs. I feel like in Throne of Eldraine, there were very clearly things that you should be doing to exploit the bots even beyond the Murfolk Secret Keeper deck then once they fixed that, then it was like drafting the Agro decks, whatever. It doesn't feel that way to me, like even stuff that like, I've had green-white decks that I've been happy with, or blue-red decks that I've been happy with. I think I'm happier to be black more often than not, and pair that with whatever, but even those four color pairs I've been playing somewhat consistently consistently like it just feels like and i see that on the other side of the battlefield as well it feels like all the color pairs are are pretty much represented
1: right it's not something where like merfolk secret Keeper is clearly underrated that's the best deck and you're gonna play against merfolk secret keeper a lot that sort of thing's not happening and i th- feel like this is the first time in arena's history there hasn't been a top tier deck that's been very underrated that everyone's trying to end up in yeah for sure the other thing i think that's contributing to that a little bit is the rares in the format are really powerful right so if you open a green rare or you open a red rare they're powerful enough to incentivize you to try to draft different decks right if you open Nylea, you're going to try to jam green and draft that Nylea deck, even if green's not the best color or green X decks aren't the best decks, because the rares give so much power to your draft. And that that's something that feels bad on MTGO to me. But on arena, it's nice, I think, and adds variety to what's normally a pretty stale draft experience on Arena. And I think that's just another thing that is good
2: about this format on Arena. Yeah, I agree with that. I'll I'll second that 100%. And
1: the the last thing that feels good to me about Arena is just that the way the drafts play out, it really feels possible for everyone to end up with powerful decks. And I think jamming those powerful decks against each other is, you know, where you get to experience a lot of the interesting deep gameplay where, you know, Games go to turn 20 and there's natural decking and blah, 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 or whatever. People end up with powerful white, red aggro decks and you're jamming those against each other. But the format does have a lot of good gameplay, but there are serious feel bads on MTGO. Like the the difference in power level of decks that I've experienced on MTGO is absurd. And that was not the case on Arena. I felt like in general, both me and my opponents had good decks.
2: Yeah, that is the thing like that I felt since drafting at the GP was that, I think this format is much better in pod, but if it's not in pod, the disparity between decks in leagues on Magic Online and the disparity between like bot draft decks deck to deck or whatever is, is much lower. Like everyone's going to get like a sort of similar power level stuff on arena. That's just not the case in leagues on Magic Online.
1: Yeah, absolutely agree with that. I, I think the format is much better in pod.
2: Yeah. So let's dive into some arena draft strategy here. I think I think if you and I are feeling like the gap is much smaller between the strategy for drafting against people and drafting against bots, then this may not differ very much from what we've been trying to do the past few weeks on Magic Online. But if there are any differences, uh, let's get into them here. I think first and foremost, it feels like you can be black if you want
1: to in more than half the drafts, maybe even more than two thirds of the drafts or something on MTG Arena. And I think if you're presented the opportunity to be black in the draft or you've got a tiebreaker pick between, you know, a close card and a slightly worse black card you're supposed to take the black card and you're supposed to try to be black because it's far and away the best color
2: yeah i've been black is my most drafted color on arena i've been black eight of my 19 best of one drafts so i think that's sort of where where you should be approaching if you're interested in that if you're not that's fine too but i'm interested in being in black if i can be on arena and so i'm gonna make picks tiebreaker picks that uh let me down that route more often than not.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you open a really strong rare, you know, it's one of whatever the top 20, 25 rares in the set, you're supposed to make every effort to take it, put it in your deck, even if that means something like multiple Traveler's Amulets, stretching your mana base with some card filtering, some velocity to dig deeper into your deck, to see those mana sources, to see that rare that you opened, even if it's on a splash. I think I think it's possible to splash double-colored rares in the format but I think you need to know what you're doing with that. And it takes a certain style of deck construction. But if you've got those tools at your disposal, you should take advantage of that. And you should put those rares in your deck.
2: Agree. And we're, we're trying to view this as a feature of the format rather than a bug these days. Yeah, I, I'm very much trying to keep an open mind. And I am excited, like I said, to go back to MTGO. I think this is something we're going to dive into next week in a much more meaningful way. But you need to make sure all of your cards are working towards a cohesive game plan. And I think once you figure out what your game plan is, you should do like little to no waffling after that happens, whether it's like you've got a rare that you feel like you've latched on to. And then as that progresses, as the draft progresses, you figure out sort of where your deck is going in terms of, does it skew more assertive or more defensive or controlling and, how are the pieces that you're drafting slotting in? Because I think a lot of the colors, I think blue in particular, but then to a lesser extent, white or or green have these cards that are like, yeah, this is great in this version of the deck, but terrible in this version. So I think you want to make sure you have a good idea of that. And, and, and to further that, I think you want to take cards that are significantly above replacement level. You know, Make sure you grab those if you're sort of bobbing and weaving, as we say. But generally, you want to stick with the lane that you start with because so many of the commons get much better once you actively have a deck you're building towards. So this is something we talk about, I think, a lot Uh, With our bot drafting episodes, we've sort of talked about this in our main episode that we did a few months ago about drafting against the bots in general, but that it's much better on Arena to carve out a single color lane for yourself so that you're open in pack two to whatever you open or get past. And I think that's sort of highlighted here by Theros Beyond Death.
1: Right. And that feels like the crux of the format for me. And one of the hardest things to do on MTGO if you get a rocky start to a draft Because cards like Transcendent Envoy, for example, one and a white one two flyer R S spells you cast cost one less to cast. If your draft starts white card, white card, white card, like you've got a Daxos, you've got a Pious Wayfarer, you've got a Dreadful Apathy, you're thrilled to pick Transcendent Envoy fifth, sixth. But if your draft starts, you know, black card, blue card, green card, and then you have the feeling that white is open. But then the next pack you have Transcendent Envoy is the best white card. Like, are you really moving into white for that card? It's it's so hard to audible to things because the commons only really start to get good once you've got a critical mass of other cards that go with them and it's hard to get into a new lane for the power level of some of the commons but they really do do work and are seriously good cards if you're in that deck and you know what's going on with that deck and i feel like there's so many commons that are of that power level where you're not wanting to move into the color for the power level of the common but that if you are that color
2: They're very good cards in your deck. Yeah, I think white's a great example of that. I mean, once you get past those sort of top commons in white, but even among those top commons, there's going to be decks where Hero of the Pride is going to be better than Heliod's Pilgrim or better than Pious Wayfarer or vice versa. Like, But you don't know that. You see those three cards in a pack in pick five and you haven't taken any white cards it's like oh well, white's open but which one of these is going to be the best for my deck down the road and you just sort of have to roll the dice a little bit yeah and so i think
1: one of the most important things you can do on arena or mtgo in this format you really want to avoid a situation where you're still trying to feel out which archetype you are by around pack one pick six or later like i i feel like the earlier i figure my lane out the better my deck is in this format. Is it feasible to do it past that point? Yes, but I think it's definitely not ideal. And one of the better ways to do that, I've found is to try to really be open and have a multicolor splash deck, maybe your base blue-green, maybe you've got some Traveler's Amulets, but to really try to keep yourself, if you're open at that point, to keep yourself max open and really hope to get past some bombs or things like that. So
2: there's nothing egregious like Merfolk Secret Keeper going on here. There have been a handful of cards that I've noticed going late consistently, but honestly, by and large, it doesn't seem like there's anything, any strategy, and maybe it's just because there's not really like a busted common that if you get multiples of... You know your deck soars. I, I think Pious Wayfarer may be that card, but I don't feel like that card is you know egregiously underrated by the arena bots. Yeah, I agree with that. So cards that I have noticed going late: Scophos Maze Warden. This is the three hundred three four uncommon. You can pay a mana to give it plus one minus one, and then it interacts with the Labyrinth of Scophos if you have that. This card consistently wheels. I've seen, um, and I think that's pretty unacceptable. I mean, this card is like just kind of keyword stats, but it's it's still pretty good. Is that card good? It seems like totally fine to me. I've never found myself wanting it actively in a red deck. I, I think that card is good. I was noticing in, in one of your roundtables that you posted, I don't know if we're going to go over it, but that you didn't take it in a spot where I would have. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Devourer of Memory. I've also seen Wheeling at times. That's the blue black uncommon. And you really want this to be a deck with fruit of Tazarius and self mill, but it's difficult to get those things to come together.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, I still think uh, this is fine in, in a blue black deck. Like it's a finisher, Plus, it's a a two drop, like it's something to do on turn two, something to do later as well. But it's, I think, actively good if you can build a blue black aggro tempo deck. I just have not seen that come together yet, but I really want it to. Yeah,
1: there are there definitely are decks with the Towering Wave Mystic, which is the two one that self mills Mm -hmm. and like Sleep of the Dead. I think it's more a base blue red deck when it comes together. But I think there is a blue-black version of it as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Skola Grove Dancer, the the bots just hate this card, which is great for me because I love drafting green in this format. And this is a card that I like quite a bit in almost every green deck. Like, I think this card just sort of has a lot of text on it and none of it seems to do anything. And so I think people underrate this card, but just... Two mana, two, two in green that is an enchantment creature that has applications to like fuel your yard, gain you a little life, get you towards your escape creatures or get you fuel for your escape creatures. All of that adds up to a rock solid common.
1: Yep. I think commanding presence is another one that seems to go a little too late according to what the bots are doing. So that's the three and a white aura gives your creature plus two plus two and first strike. And whenever it connects, you get a one one soldier token. This this is a very powerful card, one of the better white uncommons, and I think should be going earlier than it is with the bots
2: yeah furious rise i would tack on there i've seen this go late i've seen it wheel this is i think one of the best red uncommons i think it you know is best in red green but can go in probably outside of blue red can go in a- a- any color pair if you build towards it and i think it's a card worth building towards
1: yeah i think you know we've talked about it a lot but black cards in general you know if you name a black card odds are it's going later than it should on arena mm-hmm. um I, i've seen mono black decks in best of one i I have not drafted a mono black deck, but I've drafted very heavy black decks. I think, you know, if you're in that mono black deck, I've had a mono black deck on MTGO. It's very tempting if you've got some Garys and things like that to put an Underworld Dreams in your deck. I just don't think you're supposed to unless you have the nuts deck with like three Garys and some Omens of the Dead and some Sack Outlets. Underworld Dreams should probably not be making your deck. Yeah,
2: I think I'll I'll use my patented phrase here. Don't play bad cards to make your good cards better. I've seen a lot of mono black decks and I've seen a lot of Underworld Dreams on the other side of the battlefield. And I usually fist pump because it means my opponent has mulliganed. Have you lost Underworld Dreams yet? I don't think so. It's not exciting. I was ready for a good
1: why me story. Sorry, buddy. I set you up and you dropped the ball. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Um, Entrancing Liar is one that I've noticed that really goes late. And it's awkward because you really only want one copy of Entrancing Liar in your deck. But the first copy is so, so, so good. I guess I might play two depending on the makeup of my deck. But it's, it's a very mana intensive card. But once you get to the mid game, it's so powerful.
2: And this goes as late as sixth, seventh pick, which is just way too late. Yeah, we're gonna talk about Entrancing Liar in a little bit, because it is a card that still il- it eludes me in terms of when I'm supposed to pick it. It's great. You should pick it early, early and often. Yeah, says the guy who doesn't like Scophos, Maze Warden. Next up is a uh, Hero of the Pride going pretty late. Um, I have seen a lot of white commons, uncommons, like white seems to be because I think it's just the second best color in the format. It's very deep. You're going to see a lot of good cards in white go late. And I think Hero of the Pride is one of those cards.
1: Yeah, I've seen it consistently wheel or semi consistently wheel. And I think that's probably not correct for that card. We've talked about a lot of the top uncommons going later than they should as well. I would add to this list Omen of the Dead. I think this is such a good card in black decks. If you're black, you want at least one to two copies of Omen of the Dead. And I think if your deck doesn't want one to two copies of the Omen of the Dead, you probably should not have been in black. Yeah, it's such a good card in black decks. And I think you can pretty reliably wheel it on arena. And that should probably not be the case.
2: I've been so impressed by Omen of the Dead. And Lampad of Death's Vigil is a card that when I end up draft in black and I don't have one of those, I'm pretty sad. Yeah, definitely
1: feels bad if you end up in a black deck without one of one copy of both of those cards. And I think we're going to take a look here at, speaking of things that wheel, playables that wheel more than 90% of the time, according to data that's been compiled by Sirkovits in our data section of the discord there's a lot of people that mine arena data there from 17 lands and take a look at trends and things like that so if you're interested in in getting that sort of an edge there is a, a whole channel dedicated to that in the lords of limited discord so this chart is playables that wheel more than 97 of the time we're just going to quickly run down these sweet oblivion wheels more than 97 of the
2: time yeah, and then just under that is Thrill of Possibility. Rap in Flames, slightly over 96% of the time. Nyxborn Seaguard, slightly over 95%. Skola
1: Grove Dancer, you pegged that one up in the uh, other section, 95% of the time at wheels
2: whirlwind denial at 94 percent stinging lionfish at 93 percent and the sealed tech the mirror breaker wings of hubris just over 92 percent of the time so if you open any of these cards in uh your your first pack you are likely to see this more than 90 percent of the time these cards are going to come around
1: yeah and i think just taking a quick look at The difference between drafting best of one and best of three, you've got some thoughts here. Lay lay them on me.
2: Yeah, so this is just more in, in general, but I think it's worth talking about every time we talk about arena. I do not subscribe to the notion that in best of one, you should build your deck any differently than you would for game one of a best of three match. Um, So the biggest difference I see in drafting best of one is that I'm going to draft cards that would be a D maybe in my main deck over cards that would be something like an A to a B out of the sideboard since I'm just never going to have that choice. So that's when we're talking about like later picks, you know, pick six, seven plus like the latter half of each pack when you have those sort of choices, maybe once you're solidified into two colors. I'm not going to say take something like Plummet over Hyrax Tower Scout in best of one just because I'm never main decking Plummet. And there are decks where I'm happy with Hyrax Tower Scout and then there are green decks where I'm not happy with that. Whereas probably in a best of three format, I would maybe take the first Plummet depending on where I was at with my playable count because that is a rock solid card out of the sideboard. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. Sweet. All right. Well, let's dive into some arena drafts here. You've got a couple round tables for us to
1: Look over. Yeah, first one here is my very first draft on Arena. Pack one, pick one. You sit down and you have the following cards as options. Top commons, there's a Warbriar Blessing, one in a green enchant creature you control. When it ETBs, enchant creature fights one target creature you don't control, and the enchanted creature gets plus O, plus two. Moving on to the uncommons, there's Elspeth's Nightmare, two in a black, first chapter. Destroy target creature and opponent controls with power two or less second chapter target opponent reveals their hand you choose a non creature non land card from it that player discards that card. And chapter three exile target opponents graveyard. Also the secret text when you cast this on turn three and kill something you win the game yeah we also have a destiny spinner one in a green for the enchantment creature two three creature and enchantment spells you cast can't be countered and three in a green target land you control becomes an xx land with haste until end of turn where x is the number of enchantments you control and your rare bronze hide lion green white for the three three has the ability green white gains indestructible until end of turn and then when it dies returns to the battlefield as an aura that attaches to a creature that gives that creature that same ability
2: yeah there's so many times in this format where like you know you open myers grasp and you're like cool every other common is out of contention that sort of feels the case when you open something like freakish spawn or elspeth's nightmare It's just you're gonna take those cards out of almost every pack they're in and it's so funny because like they're both very powerful but elspeth's nightmare i think ends more games earlier like freakish spawn feels like this inevitability thing and elspeth's nightmare is like if i get a two Run with this you're probably losing the game yeah uh, so i'm just gonna slam that card here that is what i did as
1: well moving on to pack one pick two you see the following cards as options there's a daybreak chimera floating around in the commons three white white for the three three costs x less to cast where x is your devotion to white and has flying this card has gone down for me a bit Has it has it gone down for you
2: yeah it really has and you know we were hinting at this last week or maybe it was even two weeks ago about how sun main pegasus is sort of on the same level as this, I think Sunmain Pegasus is ahead of Chimera for me now.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's just a better card when, it, when you're getting in for two Life Link. It's so busted.
2: When I draft Daybreak Chimeras, I feel like I have, it skews the rest of what my deck has to do because I'm like, well, I want to be this heavy white deck. And so now I have to not take double colored pipped cards of my secondary color because that's going to make my mana worse, which makes my Chimeras worse. Like it really has this ripple effect for me, but maybe I'm overthinking it. No, I think you're 100% right. Chimera, if you pick
1: Chimera highly, it dictates what your other picks have to be as well, rather than being a flexible card. Whereas if you're supposed to be white and you get Daybreak Chimeras, like that's, I think, how you want to do it, right? right? Like you're getting into white, you're getting the Pious Wayfarers, you're getting the Dreadful Apathies, and you're getting past a pick seven Daybreak Chimera. Then you're happy to draft it and put it into your deck. But taking this early, so I, don't, I just don't think this is the second second best white common i think this is out of the top white commons for me
2: i think it is too yeah it's pretty crazy i think we've fluctuated a lot over the weeks with our top commons in in some of these colors and others we've we've sort of held fast but yeah i think chimera is out for me too yeah i think it's an interesting format and i think I, I, like i said i'm excited to go
1: back with a fresh fresh start to mtgo sounds good other uncommons that are in the pack there's a heliod's punishment still here one in a white for the enchantment aura that Makes a creature unable to attack or block and loses all abilities for four turns and drag to the underworld two block black for the instant costs X less to cast where X is your devotion to black and destroy target creature.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is a thing where I think if I was on magic online, I'd be like, all right, sitting up straight in my chair. I'm ready to fight over black with everybody else after taking nightmare first and now taking drag second. But on arena, I don't really have to feel that way. I'm just like, oh, sick. I get to start with two of the best uncommons. In the best color, and it's probably going to flow. Right.
1: Also nab to drag there. Moving on to pack one, pick three. See the
2: following cards as
1: options. There's a traveler's amulet here, one artifact, and you pay one tap, sack it. search your library for basic land, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Honestly, if you had told me that I would be thinking about traveler's amulet here at the start of the format, I would have told you you were crazy. Yep. But I do think it's worth taking traveler's amulets early. It's just a lot of insurance, and it's a very flexible card.
2: Yeah, I mean, we were going to talk about this later, but this feels like a good point to talk about it now is that I'm really of the mind that even in a two-color deck, we've talked about this before, if you have even just one escape card in your deck, then I'm basically playing Amulet as a replacement for my 17th land.
1: Yeah, and I think if you're wanting to splash, Traveler's Amulet is the best way to do it in the yes, format. Yes, because it's the least impactful to your deck. Yep, absolutely agree. There's also an Omen of the Forge in the Commons, one red, Enchantment, Flash, when ETBs deals two damage to any target and you can sack it to Scry 2. There's Aspect of Lamprey as the only black card in the pack, three and a black for the Enchantment Aura, Enchant Creature you control, when it ETBs you Mind Rot your opponent and Enchanted Creature has Lifelink. How do you feel about Aspect of Lamprey?
2: Oh, no, you're setting me up here. Uh, I really hate this card. I think it's terrible. I'm basically not main decking it unless I have other synergies like a Hateful Eidolon or or something of that nature. And even then, I'd I'd hope to not have to run it. I think even stuff like pairing it with Shimmerwing Chimera is a little too cute because you're probably not getting, you know, a lot of a lot more value out of it beyond the first time you cast this. I think people get got by this and then think it's great because of those scenarios. But I mostly just like discard a land and something or two lands. Like I I have not felt this card to be impactful almost ever. So
1: this card, I think is fine. I think it's a fine 23rd card. I do think it's better on Arena than it is on MTGO. Because I think you end up in grindy black mirrors a lot. And a lot of times I find myself with good removal and I'm sandbagging it. And then my opponent's aspect hits my removal. Like it feels good. It's been very good for my opponents in the Black Mirrors I've played on Arena. I've played a lot of Black Mirrors on Arena. So I think it's a fine include in your deck. Uh, I don't think it's a great card, but I do think it's better than you're making it out to be. Okay, Daxos is our best uncommon in the pack and the only one really worth considering here. White, white for a two star. Its toughness is equal to your devotion to white. And whenever another creature you control ETBs or dies, you gain one life.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not happy to take a white, white two drop here following up our Elspeth's Nightmare and our Drag to the Underworld. But Daxos is just so much better than every other card in this pack that I think you have to take it here.
1: Yep, I agree. That is what I nabbed here. Moving on to pack one, pick four. You see the following cards as options. There's nothing
2: really to speak of in the commons. Are you considering anything here in the commons? I don't know. I guess like... You know, if we're we're trying to be a spicy Alan Wu, we could take Elysian Carry added. But yeah, I agree. These commons are pretty lackluster. There's no black cards and no white cards at common here. So I think that sort of rules them out a little bit.
1: Right. And then so moving on to uncommons, you got a choice between Slaughter Priest of Mogis, black red for the 2-2. Two, two. Whenever you sacrifice a permanent, Slaughter Priest of Mogis gets plus 2 plus 0 oh until end of turn and you can pay 2, sacrifice another creature or enchantment. Slaughter Priest of Mogis gets first strike until end of turn. And there's also Scophos Maze Warden, three and a red for the three, four, one mana. Scopus Maze Warden gets plus one, minus one until end of turn, and then obviously the interaction with Labyrinth of Scopus.
2: So I'm going to shout out my card that I seem to like more than anybody else in this format, which is there's another uncommon in the pack, Wolf Willow Haven, the one in a green enchant land, enchanted land caps for an additional green and then you can pay 400 green to sacrifice the haven to get a 2-2 wolf so i think this sort of comes down to what I, I was mentioning this on stream the other day and you disagreed so for my money and the deck that i enjoyed playing the most and the deck that i think is most powerful in the format is black green but you were saying that you think black green is the worst of the black decks
1: yeah that's my feeling i, I don't like
2: black green much can, can you talk about why uh Or should I talk about why I like it? And then you can say, yeah, I hate those things. Yeah, let's do that. So for my money, I think Black Green uh, does the best of both worlds. So it's able to mount an early defense because I think it has really good two drops. It has the best removal, obviously, in black. But I think Warbriar Blessing is quite strong. It has Constellation synergies. Uh, It's got like the enchantment synergies if you get a Hateful Idol on. And then the thing that's really the best is that it takes advantage of escape the most out of any deck the best escape cards are in black green and the best ways to enable escape are in black green and wolf will haven does the thing that i sort of talk about amulet doing like you know it ramps early and then once you're done with that once you've you know had your explosive start of your four drop into your five drop or whatever then you can cash this in for you know something that's fairly meaningless but you know if you're thinking of it as a two drop like a two two for two is what you get and then you get your two two in play and then this fuels an escape card it's a third or a fourth of one of your best escape cards in your deck
1: okay so i've had a chance to think and i have my rebuttal here great so i feel like green black black doubles down on escape so black already gets escape right Mm -hmm. and green green has escape as well and i think there's diminishing returns on the number of escape cards you have in your deck so if you've got a deck with like two voracious typhons a chimera a freak spawn or whatever like obviously you want to escape the freak spawn like the, the second escape card you get in your graveyard is essentially useless right because then then your graveyard's a finite resource so i feel like green already is doing the thing that black gets to do and and maybe with less good creatures, I think it it complements black's game plan, certainly, but it it makes your deck very one dimensional, whereas all the other color pairs pairing with black, I think, give your deck a lot more dimension and flexibility, like blue black lets you still have the scape stuff, but it also lets you play a very controlling game plan. Red black has the sacrifice, the grind, the pressure. I think it does a better job of being the aggressor than green black does like green, green black seems like totally mid range to me for the most part. And then if you get white black, I think tends to be heavier white splash a few black cards. But if you get a true even split white black deck with self mill, you know, with the Hierophants and the enchantments and rise to glory, that deck also feels very powerful and different. I I think green just like feels like it's not adding a lot to black, if that makes sense. It makes sense, except I really take you take umbrage.
2: I, t- I was gonna say that, but I'll I'll say something less snooty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I really have to take issue with the black green being one note. Like I really feel like black green is super flexible at every step of the game. Whereas I I don't know that like, my experience with other black color pairs has been fine. Like I I don't disagree with your descriptions of the other black color pairs, but my feeling has been. Black green is a good early game and the best late game. And when my opponent plays like swamp into forest, I'm like, uh Oh, and when I get a good black green deck or a black green deck, I'm really happy. So I don't know. Maybe it's just a different experiences. Yeah. So I think with nightmare and drag to the underworld, back to this pack, I'm would be tempted to take wolf willow Haven here because I want to end up in black green more often than not. When I have black cards, Um, I think on arena, if you want to be black red, I think taking Slaughter Priest and wheeling Scophos Maze Warden is totally reasonable. If this were MTGO, I think Scophos Maze Warden is a better card than Slaughter Priest of Mogus. So if I wanted to be red, I would take that. But I, I think my pick here would be the Haven.
1: Whoa. I think Slaughter Priest is significantly better than Skofos Maze Warden. Uh, see, I don't
2: think Slaughter Priest is that important to Blackred.
1: I agree with that, but I also think Skofos Maze Warden is
2: just a dude. I don't know, it's a dude that's like kind of tough to deal with. I, I I like the card a lot. Interesting. Yeah.
1: So, draft rounds out, we take a, an Aspect of Lamprey out of a pretty weak pack, pack 1 pick 5, but again, like wanna be Black have been presented with the opportunity to be Black, so I think we should see it through get an agonizing remorse pack one pick six we should talk about this bad boy too you and i are pretty high on this card and there are some notable very good limited players better limited players than we are that are pretty down on this card
2: yeah so i have had the chance to like ask ben stark about this card ask ryan spain on his uh, twitch channel going optimal both of those gentlemen are not a fan of this card and i'm quite high on it like i think agonizing remorse is up there with like better than most commons for me. Are, are you there too? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm taking it underneath
1: meyer's grasp, final death. I think that's it. I think I'm probably taking it over Hierophant. Yeah. It's 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 really backbreaking. Like it it deals with an escape card before it ever gets to the graveyard, it nabs a removal spell. It's cheap. There's not a lot of good turn 2 plays. The format's fairly slow. Late in the game, it's not a dead top deck because you can get your opponent's escape creature out of their graveyard. It just feels very good
2: yeah so my next question here as we're in the agonizing remorse fan club how many of these do you want a main deck because i think definitely diminishing returns like i definitely wouldn't play three where are you at on running two of them i don't love it the second copy is a lot worse than the first yeah
1: that's where i'm at too so nabbed an agonizing remorse here and then picked up a rage card berserker essentially we just get some filler black cards but you get deep enough in the black and you get black on arena and ended up with a very good black red deck yeah you get Timurit chosen from death eighth pick (laughs) Yeah. That's how, crazy.
2: You know, that's that's something that doesn't happen on MTGO. Them bots though. Them bots though. But sometimes black doesn't flow right and we're going to take a look at a draft where maybe that's the case here in our next round table this is another one of your drafts ben so pack one pick one you see the following cards uh best common in the pack is irois's blessing the three and a red aura deals four when it etbs and gives the enchanted creature plus one one. this card is so backbreaking
1: yeah it's it's very good it has gone way up in my pick order i think i have it as probably
2: the fourth best common overall i think behind dreadful apathy I think that's only a nod for me to white being a much better color than red because I've found I rose his blessing to be a I think it's a better card than apathy. I think they're like very close at least. But what edges it out is that I think white's just a much better color.
1: Uh, I think I think apathy is a better card, right? Because sometimes uh, well, maybe that's just the when you're drafting aggro, you're supposed to assume you're doing the thing. Yeah, because there's there's a very real cost, right? You have to have a creature on board, your mm-hmm. opponent can't have mana untapped. Like, I think intrinsically, it's a less powerful card
2: when it does the thing. It's better than apathy, right? Sure. So like lower floor, higher ceiling. Yes. Yeah. Um, moving on to the uncommons, you've got Nessie and Wanderer, one in a green constellation. You get to look at the top three cards, reveal a land from among them, and then put the other two on the bottom in a random order. And banishing light, two in a white for the enchantment uh, ETBs. You exile. Target non-land permanent and opponent controls until Banishing Light leaves. And your rare, wah-wah, idyllic tutor, a white sorcery, search your library for an enchantment card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle.
1: Yeah, I think we're just slamming Banishing Light here, right? It's the far and away the best card in the pack, and there's no black cards in contention.
2: Yep. Yeah, the only black card in the pack is a Scavenging Harpy. Pack one, pick two. At common, to follow up white, there's a Carameter's Blessing, Captivating Unicorn, and Triumphant Surge all cards that are like fine to medium, but I don't think you want a second pick. Probably the best common is Omen of the Dead or Return to Nature. And then at uncommon, we've got a Sweet Oblivion, the one in a blue mill card, another Nessian Wanderer, and Careless Celebrant, one in a red, uh, two one when it dies, it deals two damage to a creature or Planeswalker. Yeah, it's a fairly weak
1: pack. I don't love the white cards that are options. I think that leads me to wanting to take the best card in the pack, which is Careless Celebrant, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm...
2: I might nod towards Nessian Wanderer here, but I think red, white is just better than green, white, probably. And Nessian Wanderer is not great in green, white. I just I still I still like Nessian Wanderer. Yeah, that's fair. I think it's close
1: between those two cards. I like Careless Celebrant better.
2: Yeah. Uh, pack one, pick three. The only white card in the pack is Ben's favorite card in the format, Sentinel's Eyes, single white Aura uh, give a thing plus one plus one and it has Vigilance and it has Escape, one white, exile, two other cards. Uh, there's also a Witness of Tomorrows at Common and a Final Flare for following up Red. And then the best card in the pack is at Uncommon here an Acolyte of Affliction, two black green. For the two three, when it ETBs, you mill two, and then you can return a permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. Yeah, this pick feels like a litmus test for the format, right? So I think <laughs> in any
1: other world, like any other draft format where it feels like you can navigate between archetypes or color pairs more easily. I'm just taking Acolyte, right? Because the the power level gap between Acolyte and Sentinel's Eyes is gigantic. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a white deck, you want Sentinel's Eyes so much. And then once you get this copy of Sentinel's Eyes, it makes it easier for you to happily pick other white cards. So this is a very tough pick for me. And I think it's a little clearer on Arena than it is on MTGO for me. But I just want Sentinel's Eyes because I think it makes future picks Easier in the format, and that that's kind of a feel bad thing about the format for me.
2: Yeah, I think you can get Sentinel's eyes later, though. But maybe that's not true. Like, it feels bad to me to not take Acolyte here, especially on Arena where you can be in black, where it's not like on MTGO. I I agree, it's easier. You just take eyes here, and you sort of avoid the black train that may may pass you by or you may fight over. But on Arena, I think you take Acolyte. I don't know. It's close.
1: I I think this is a really interesting pick, and I, I think Sentinels. I the way I'm thinking about the format right now, I want Sentinel's Eyes because once I get Sentinel's Eyes, I'm so much happier taking white cards. Whereas if I have Acolyte in my pile here, then I end up in that spot where I have no
2: direction, and it's so hard to get
1: direction from like the later picks in the pack. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's fair. Like we're 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 past. Pick one and pick two. And we know there's going to be a steep drop off in power level. And so Sentinel's Eyes is going to make Wayfarer, Hero of the Pride, Heliod's Pilgrim all better. Like you're going to feel much better taking those once you have eyes in your pile. Whereas you take Acolyte and then like you hope black is open or you hope you see some good green cards. But otherwise, you're probably sticking to red, white.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I just think this pick is the crux of the format for me. Like p-
2: picks like this. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm making a mistake to take Acolyte here. I don't know. I don't know. It's very interesting. Yeah. All right, moving on to pack one, pick four. You're going to feel pretty good here. Uh, Best black card is Lampad of Death's Vigil. No green cards to speak of, really, so I would feel pretty bad about my Acolyte pickup. Um, Best common, Thirst for Meaning, I would say. But you've got a whole mess of white cards here and even red cards to follow up the Celebrant. There's a Thrill of Possibility and a Wrap in Flames, though we know that those cards can go late based on our chart that we looked at earlier. There's a Nyxborn Courser and a Flicker of Fate at Common. And Dawn Evangelate Uncommon, 2 and white for the 2-3, whenever a creature dies, if an aura you controlled was attached to it, return target creature with CMC 2 or less from your graveyard to your hand. Speaking of combos with Sentinel's Eyes. Yeah, pairs very well with Sentinel's Eyes, put that on a Hero of the Pride, you got a 4-2 Vigilance, they have to
1: trade with it, you rebuy the Hero of the Pride, rinse, repeat, Sentinel's Eyes. It's a good way to grind out a game of magic. Cool. So how did this deck wind out? Did you just stay on rails with uh, White Red? Next pick, I picked up an Underworld Charger. Why over an Omen of the Forge? I'm not quite sure. Maybe yeah. I was hoping to be White Black, I think. Also, I think I like Underworld Charger way more than you do. But looking at this pick now, it feels like feels like Omen of the Forge is the right pick here, looking at this. Uh, and then I grabbed an Impending Doom and a wrap in flames and just like ended up in a very good red white deck and black was not open in this draft so it's not every draft that you get a draft black so I just think another nod to arena being better than it ever has been
2: yeah for sure All right, well, we'll maybe you have to do this a little fast and loose, but I do have a list of cards here that I want to talk about, and I think you've got some stuff on this list as well, so we can sort of uh, go back and forth here. But there were just a a lot of cards that I feel like our evaluations may have shifted on, or some things that I feel like come up a lot when I'm streaming um, that I feel like I I disagree with or have to make points about over and over again, so I wanted to talk about them here. So first up on this list is a friendly reminder about Scrylands, that like off-color or like one-color Scrylands, if you're in black green and you have the blue black scryland you should put that in your deck yeah absolutely 100% agree I do want to say that I finally had a chance to play with a good green white deck I think this is a color pair that may have eluded us I know it has eluded me Um, but it had Siona it had Heliod's Pilgrim it had two commanding presence because that card is underrated by the bots and a total of eight auras and the deck played out super consistent you know Beers SC has been uh, talking to me about this on stream a lot that you know he thinks it's a Boggles deck and I've just never had that come together before but it was great in this iteration have you had a chance to play with this color pair yet yeah I've played green-white once, and it was good. I mean, it was heavy-white with a little bit of green,
1: and I think I incorrectly put a Voracious Typhon in my deck, which stretched my mana a little bit. I had a Typhon and a Boar in the deck, so it was like a 10-7 mana base with those two cards, and I think it's better as a heavier-white deck, but I do agree with the Boggles theory, and you're trying to play Karametra's Blessing to protect your stuff that you've suited up and things like that. Yeah, I think green-white is the worst deck in the format but i certainly think it's a fine deck and you can win with it yeah for sure
2: uh i think i'm there ben i think i'm on pious Wayfair as the second best white common how about you boom baby we got him yeah so i've been mean, thinking about this a lot that it honestly feels like it asks less of your deck than hero of the pride i think i alluded to this a little bit last week of like i found myself at the end of drafts being like oh, i actually only have like four ways to target hero that i'm like happy to main deck like sure i could add some filler junkers or whatever but that doesn't feel like where i want to be whereas pious wayfarer just like triggers off of half of your deck a lot of the time it scales with the game a little better it slots into all four color pairs pretty nicely where it feels like the hero style thing has to be the thing you're doing Whereas Pious Wayfarer does a lot more like you can have your aggro deck, but then it also is just like nice in the late game. It turns like all your omens into combat tricks. It enables a lot of bluff attacks early in the game. Like when your opponents tapped out, it's really hard for them to make blocks that look like they might be favorable for them. And I think too that, we talked about this a little bit, but I think Sun Pegasus is also, maybe it's not in the top three, but it's a lot better than I initially thought.
1: And also plays well with Pious Wafer. It yeah. wears the plus one plus one buff really well, wears both of these cards, a Sentinel's Eyes really well, especially Sun Pegasus. Mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing about Sun Pegasus. When you put Sentinel's Eyes on that, it's a 3-4. Watch out, baby. Oh, yeah,
2: for sure. So talk about a rare here, atris. the two blue, black, three, two menace that has like the mini factor fiction, right? Your opponent looks at three cards, splits them into two piles. One's face up, one's face down. I feel like a lot of people want to get cute with this, play some like mind games, get tricksy. Where are you at here? Like, have you played with it? Have you played against it? How do you split? How do you read the split from your opponent?
1: Yeah, I've played with Atrus and against Atrus a fair amount. I think my general philosophy when I'm making piles for the opponent is that I put their best card face up unless unless there's two very good cards and you can put like the second best card face up and you're pretty confident they're going to take the second best card and not the best card plus another card. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's contextual, right? Like yes. you need to know if your opponent needs lands or things like that. Where Like how good is a land for your opponent? Is it late game where the lands are essentially blanks? But more often than not, I'm just trying to put a card face up that I think they're going to take to deny them two cards.
2: Right. Yeah. So it's just like raw resource denial versus like trying to get go mind games and be like, OK, I'm going to give you, I don't know, like a land and a spell face up and then a land face down. Like, you know, I think you can do that. But that feels it feels like you might just level yourself because I think if you're the opponent, you just go, I'll just take the two things. Right. A lot of
1: times the best is if you get card two lands and you can put the card face up and the two lands face down. Mm-hmm. And there's a reasonable chance if the lands aren't relevant your opponent takes the two face down cards. Right. I mean,
2: all, all contextual, depending on what you flip. For sure, for sure. All right. I want to talk about Chainweb, Arachnir, Ben. I'm going to give you a chance to to feel good, to get a point, to t- pat yourself on the back. This card is not good, right? It's strictly sideboard material. I see so many people just go Forest, Chainweb, Arachnir on Arena, and I just feel like they've mulliganed. Yeah,
1: it's not great. I do think I've come up on it a little bit from where I was. I, I initially had that that stance. And I think it's okay if you've got sack outlets in your deck, like if you've got a lampad of Death's a Vigil in your deck.
2: Well, so here's my problem is that then you're describing a deck where you're in black green. I think something has to have gone wrong for you to be like, well, Arachnir is one of my three escape cards that I'm playing. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, I, I think folks would do well to not put this in their deck. That's fair. Next up, uh, I've got a rare that I've had the chance to open actually quite a bit on Arena. Elspeth Conquers Death, and there's some cute loop synergies. Obviously, Shimmerwing Chimera works well with uh, sagas, but there are a couple cards that let you loop if the creatures end up in the graveyard. Uh, Band Storyteller in white, and then Acolyte of Affliction in black-green also offers a little loop to loop here. Oh, just like full-on loops. Yeah, you just like... Play the creature, get back your saga, and then the saga gets back the creature on chapter three, rinse, repeat. It's really nice. Yikes. Yeah, Shimmerwing Chimera can also just rebuy the Elspeth Conquers Death. And I think
1: Flicker of Fate also worth running if you've got an Elspeth Conquers Death.
2: Let's just talk about that card right now. After watching Huey main deck two of those in his PT Phoenix day two deck and to great success, I am much higher on this card. I used to be like, oh, this is a 23rd card and it's probably not going to make the cut. I'm actively looking to put the first Flicker of Fate in my deck, and I'm not mad about two copies. Like, the way it interacts with Sagas, Constellation, Dreadful Apathy, and even just then, like, flickering your own stuff from auras, flickering your opponent's stuff when they try and cast, like, an Irohsis Blessing or a Warbriar Blessing. I think Flicker of Fate's really good. I I like the first copy. The second copy, I'm not as thrilled about. Yeah, I think you you really want to make sure you've got like a bunch of sagas or whatever. You need a reason to have that second copy. But I'm my eyes have been opened after watching uh, what Huey did with that card.
1: Right, it feels like a more flexible bounce spell than stern dismissal almost in some ways.
2: Yeah, I like think like so. that
1: type of effect.
2: Yes, except I agree. it can
1: actually interact with your own stuff whereas stern dismissal can't. Ugh, stern dismissal, what a what a miss. Yep.
2: Yeah, what a miss. Who had that as their top blue common? I don't know. I don't know. What about Enemy of Enlightenment? Where are you at on this card? I think it's fine and sealed. I generally don't want it in my deck in draft. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Like basically the only time I've liked this card is as like a curve topper in an aggro black white deck when like i just didn't get finishers as you as you say there's like some color pairs where it's actively bad like blue black when you're just trying to hold up counter spells or whatever you just never want to cast this card right next
1: up on this list how to beat dream trawler step one Avoid your opponent's dream trawler. If you're in the unlucky position where you have to navigate to step two, which is where your opponent has cast a dream trawler, I think Entrancing Liar is the best way because you can, I mean, it's still not ideal because you're having to, if the opponent has cards, you're having to invest a large sum of your mana every turn while your opponent then can advance their board Mm -hmm. while you're tapping down the the trawler but if you ever get to land the tap it stays permanently tapped i think gift of strength is another underrated and good one uh so it's the one green combat trick that gives your creature plus three plus three and reach
2: yeah yeah i mean eventually you assume if your opponent's dropping dream trawler as their last or one of their last cards if you've got the entrancing Liar, you stop them from drawing two cards a turn with it. Like, yeah, you have to invest mana, but eventually they'll run out of resources and you can tap it down, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, but during that time, you're presumably taking large portions of your turn and not advancing your board and they're getting to advance their board.
2: Well... But they have to discard a card every turn. So they're not advancing their board that much. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Glimpse of Freedom was a card that I wasn't thrilled about at the start of the format. And I'm still not crazy about it. But I do think it's great in Blue Red specifically where like, except for Underworld Ragehound, you almost have no other escape cards. And it plays nicely with the Drago elements of Blue. And it also plays nicely with the cost reduction of Niad of the Hidden Coves. So I think this card does have a spot if you don't have other escape cards. I think it
1: might be worse than Sleep of the Dead in those decks, though, right? There's been a very strong push from a lot of good limited players in the format that Sleep of the Dead is real in Blue
2: Red. Yeah, I think I think that's true. Yeah, if you have that assertive version of Blue Red and that is the version that I think is best, that maybe Sleep of the Dead is just better.
1: Yeah, I, I have not drafted that deck yet, but I am on the lookout for it for sure.
2: Cool. All right, so we, we talked about labyrinth of scophos and entrancing liar more just want to talk about entrancing liar here because you're really high on this card and in theory i like this card a lot and i think they should be high picks because these these cards are colorless in theory they go in every deck but they're probably not at their best in every deck and so i don't quite know like is liar good in a control deck where you're happy to have it scale with the game or is it not great there because in a control deck you just have better removal? And is it good in an aggro deck where you can take advantage of the like tap a thing on your opponent's end step and then tap a thing on my turn where like you're going to get that tempo advantage? But then also in aggro decks, it feels bad to like play three mana and not affect the board in any meaningful way. So I just I, I don't quite know how to think about liar. So t- talk me up on it.
1: The answer is yes, it's good. Like the, <laughs> the only The only situation where it's not good is when you're getting beaten down by white red. And you're too far behind to do the thing. Like in your aggro deck, you're thrilled after you've deployed your threats to play Liar. And then you know you're getting to tap down two blockers for the rest of the game. It's it's so powerful. I think once you hit the mid game, it's Icy Manipulator levels of powerful.
2: OK, so tell me, can you give me a like, I'm taking this below this, above this, pack one, pick one. I'm taking it over Myers Grasp, pack one, pick one. E- even on Arena? Yes, I think it's just a better card than Myers Grasp. Okay, and then does it get like as the draft progresses? Does it get worse? Like that colorless flexibility? Do you feel like you don't need that as much, or are you just taking it because it's good? I just, I just think it's good. I just
1: think it's good. I mean, the second copy is a lot less good than the first because it is a it is a mana intensive card. But I think the mana intensiveness starts to be not that big of a deal once you hit turn six, turn seven.
2: Have you ever cut this from a deck?
1: No, never. I have.
2: Uh, Maybe that's crazy. That seems crazy to me. Okay i'm I, i'm gonna i'm gonna reevaluate because i i definitely feel like i've you know I'm, there's never been times when my opponent has played this and i've been like oh that sucks like it's just always good i just don't know i yeah I, i'm ha- i have trouble slotting it in in context with the rest of the set in terms of a pick order yeah interesting mogus's favor however i do not have a problem with that card is awesome this card does so much in the format uh i think you can cast it twice in a turn like kill a blocker and then augment a creature um maybe you get a heroic trigger along the way or a couple consolation triggers out of the deal just asks so little of your deck and like this is the scourge of elysian carry across the format
1: it is the scourge of Elysian carry i'm a little lower on mogus's favor than that like for example i think i like the first copy of omen of the dead in a black deck more than i like the first copy of mogus's favor
2: i agree I-, I like this significantly more than underworld charger um... yeah there, there we go there it is <laughs> There, I think those two cards are equivalent in my mind. That, that that doesn't seem correct to me. Talk to me about Farika's Libation as a, uh, as a black card here.
1: I think it's a fine card. I don't love it in the main deck unless you've got a lot of removal. I think this gets more reasonable to main deck the more removal you have or if you're something like blue black as a way to interact with enchantments if you don't have other ways to interact with enchantments.
2: Yeah, that seems fair to me. I want to talk about Relentless Pursuit here. This is a card that I think both you and I are pretty down on. This seems like it's played way more than it should be. It's best, I think, in Black Green Escape. But in that deck, I think you'd rather have funeral rites like 10 out of 10 times almost. And missing on this card feels very bad, like when you only get a land or a creature. And if you're not escaping to take advantage of the graveyard filling, you would almost certainly be better playing anything else, I think. Like, You really have to think about what this card is doing like it's not a divination and if it's not doing all of the things for your deck i don't think you want it
1: yeah i agree i think some of the reasons i think the two main reasons my win rate was so abysmal at the start of the format was i played way too many relentless pursuits and i played way too many elysian carry added and i picked elysian carry added way too highly
2: yeah i think that is a good lesson to take away all right ben the great white debate here beyond banishing light what is your pick order for Reverent Hoplite, Commanding Presence, and Dreadful Apathy?
1: I think Commanding Presence 1, Apathy 2, Reverent Hoplite 3.
2: Yeah, I think you and I are higher on Commanding Presence than the rest of the world. I think a lot of people have Hoplite as the second best white uncommon. Um, and I, I like Hoplite a lot. I've just been more impressed by Presence and and Apathy as well. As a removal spell. But those three cards are, are very, very close. Yeah, I agree. Uh, how about uh, Rise to Glory, the black-white uncommon? How many auras do you need before you're happy to play this? Because I don't feel like I've, I've hit that threshold a lot of the time. Yeah, I think you want
1: four copies before it's really powerful like four of like apathy myers grasp power level of cards before you're really excited like i don't think you get to count mogus's favor or sentinel's eyes or whatever it's not super exciting because those cards you can already get back from the graveyard
2: exactly and like a five mana zombify like if you're not getting back in aura this feels pretty bad
1: but when you do Yes, so good.
2: Very backbreaking. Yeah. Where are you at on Sea God Scorn these days? I'm still not sold on this. There was like, you know, some discussion in our limited testing meeting about the cards applications. And I just I've seen it in play and I I don't love it. It's fine. I'll play it. I'll not play it. I don't have any strong feelings about the card. Do you have any feelings about like a deck that you're like, oh, I more want this in this deck and I don't want it in this deck or you're just like, I'll put it in any blue deck if I have to.
1: Maybe blue green, I think is one of its better homes Mm -hmm. because you've got like. theoretically a bigger board presence so you smash harder if you bounce three of your opponent's things and or like returning your large creatures that maybe have a dreadful apathy on them or whatever is more beneficial to you
2: yeah for sure speaking of more cards that i've been impressed by from uh watching the pt last weekend triumphant surge keeps showing up i think it shows up a lot in best of one on arena and it's a card that i may have come in being like this is just a sideboard card but especially in blue white but i think in in a lot of white decks even like this card does work it's gonna find a target it's really a blowout if your opponent like has a small thing and then uses a combat trick to augment the creature and then you can kill it and get a two for one like i think triumphant surge is good
1: yeah i've got a blue white deck that's been waiting on mtgo for a week for me to play uh, that has a couple triumphant surges in it and i'm excited to try it out nice the last card i think here on this list is thrill of possibility and i think this is probably far and away the best this effect has been in limited so if we're thinking about cards in graveyard as resources in the format Mm -hmm. thrill of possibility gets very close to divination for two mana yeah because you spend two cards to get back 2.6 cards right because you got two cards in the graveyard which is approaching divination levels of powerful and then it's instant speed which is really valuable for a lot of archetypes it also i think Gives you a hidden benefit of being able to stretch your mana a little bit, especially in tandem with Traveler's Amulets, to try to include some of the more powerful rares in the set. have seen a lot of trophy decks in the Lords of Limited Discord that are splish-splashing around for double-pipped rares, and I think that's something I'm excited to test out and try in the format. I think especially Thrill of Possibility Possibilities, a big player in Blue-Red specifically the aggressive versions that go ham on self mill with a towering wave mystic sleep of the dead underworld rage hound they're trying to get ahead stay ahead and mill those rage hounds and sleep of the deads to keep your opponent on the back foot while you're beating them down
2: yeah i hadn't thought about thrill of possibility in this way until you had put it in the show notes and i'm pretty excited to see this card in a new light especially if i keep drafting on arena and i can get it to wheel a lot
1: yeah i can't take credit for that i read that somewhere in our discord oh, nice. uh, i think i think maybe ari was talking about it in the discord he's a very smart man yep so great place to wrap us up here lots of good info on arena and just cards in general and i just i just want to say again arena has been a pleasure i feel like you and i have not been great supporters of arena or or rather have just been staunch defenders of drafting for real and i have very much enjoyed arena as a draft experience this time around in this format and i just want to want to throw that out in the world. Shout
2: out to Arena. There you go. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash lordtupperware. Ben's at twitch.tv slash Metronome. Both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
1: Lampad of Death's Vigil. What is that?
2: The one in a black one three? Is that really what it's called? Oh my God. Do you play this game? That's not what it's called. Death's Vigil? Really?
1: Are, Are you going to look it up? I am going to look it up and then feel really embarrassed and you can put this as the clip this at the end of the show. Definitely the clip at the end of the show. I'll be. Lampad of Death's Vigil. That's so dark. I've just only ever called it Lampad. I mean, I knew there was an of there, but Death's Vigil.
0: Wow.